0: Speaking of music, we have the best music in the business. I mean, come
1: on.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cinema Faith podcast for August 2023. I'm your host, Jonathan Butrin, and I am joined once again by the Manhattan to my project, Tim Nelson. You That's like that so one? weird.
1: I don't know what that means. <laughs> it's the
0: Manhattan Project. And this is a project and you're the Manhattan... It, uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's too far. All right. So here we go, man. It has been a long time since we talked. Feels like it anyway, because I think it has. Our last podcast was June at your house, if I'm not mistaken. I remember sitting in your kitchen in beautiful Kansas City. And we were just having... We were rapping about Cocaine Bear and how terrible it was. And <gasps> uh, yeah, keeping it loose, answered those questions. So that was fun. And then I fully meant for us to come back in July and have a show, but... Oh, life got ahead of us, man. It totally like got away from me. I like ran out of time. I was looking at the calendar and I'm like, there is just no way that I'm going to be able to make this work. So we couldn't do it. But now we are back. I am sorry. I know there are at least two people out there that like really look forward every month and they're just devastated when we don't have one. So I'm sorry. Is it you and me? <laughs> it might be you and <laughs> <laughs> Clicking wow. refresh on our own feed. Yes. But I do have a consolation prize. Okay. So Tim and I both know a friend with another podcast and her... name is Megan Westrom and she has a podcast called The Podluck and it's like a theology podcast you know like a church potluck, but with pod at the beginning. What a good name for a podcast. It's super clever right exactly and she talks about like you know theological concepts with people and stuff but she invited me to be on her show to talk about Barbie and the theological implications of Barbie and we might even be doing a little Oppenheimer too because she actually saw both movies back to back and had the full Barbenheimer experience. Wait she saw him like in the theater back to back back to back which i did too i'm gonna to tell you about that soon oh, really? i did it i did it too all right I i'll let you
1: know i'll, I'll uh okay
0: <laughs> so anyway she invited me onto her show and so if you want two podcasts for the price of one this month you can listen to ours on Oppenheimer, and then you can go over to the Podluck and listen to me talk about barbie On her show. So hopefully that maybe slightly makes up for us being off in July. You get two this month.
1: What a great name for a podcast. How did I I just amazed nobody, now that I've heard it, nobody came up with that? Yeah, she has it exclusive i'm just really really jealous and impressed
0: you all should subscribe to the pod look and so that you can yeah check it out and then listen to me this month it'll come out at sometime we're recording um this weekend so
1: super pumped and we can get that on apple or whatever
0: you can get it you can get wherever podcasts are found it's all over yep fantastic all right so as i was saying barbenheimer barbie Here's the thing. There may be some people who don't know what this is. So, Barbie and Oppenheimer were released the same day for uh, some reason. And for another some reason, some, you know, well, basically because we live in a society drenched in irony, they decided that these movies must be seen back to back and that it must be a full experience and we must call it barbenheimer even though there's absolutely no reason to see them back to back they're not related they're kind i mean there are some similar themes that you could maybe if you're stretching it draw upon but for the most part um someone just the decay decided. of western <laughs>
1: civilization is that one of the yeah, themes yeah
0: but making this an, a full day theater event as many many people have um it's just kind of absurd but it's also fun because you know tim like it's cool we remember during the pandemic when theaters like legitimately thought that that might be it like they were completely done i mean because people weren't going and then the streaming stuff was like it was just all coming straight to your tv and they were just like we may be done as a theater business but Mm. now look now you have this situation where freaking people are going to see these two movies they're making so much money barbie's made a billion dollars that's a billion with a b and oppenheimer's at 500 mil they're raking it in.
1: So has Barbie hasn't beat the awful, awful movie about sea people,
0: Avatar. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well said. That's exactly how I would describe it too. The sea people. Sorry, Dan yes. Baker. He loves so that the sea movie. people still
1: rules the whole thing.
0: I think so. I think Cameron yeah. will always be king.
1: I'm the king of the world.
0: Titanic. Yeah. Yeah, but unfortunately, you know. That's just always going to be the case. But it's still making a lot of money. And I think it's great for the theater industry and great for movies. So, yeah.
1: So you're saying films like Barbie and the Sea People. Uh Oh, that's a good. That would be Barbie 2 and Avatar. Oh, (laughs) Barbatar. Yes. Oh, I love this. (laughs) Barbatar. Yeah, it sounds like Barbarella or something. Yeah, very cool.
0: You can always do this. Pick any two movies that come out on the same day, smash their names together, and you can do this anytime you want. This will be the new sensation. It's great.
1: This sounds great to me. Yeah, I didn't, my wife saw the Barbie movie, but I haven't seen it yet. Oh, wait, you haven't seen it? Because
0: I thought I saw a picture with you and the kids, but maybe that was just her and the kids. It was her and the kids. Oh, okay. We
1: went to Barbie after a big PG-13 debate, but yes. <laughs> We're like, yeah, why I is know. this PG-13? We don't know. So. uh, they took the risk and I didn't go
0: but you have not seen it so there you go I
1: haven't I don't think it's everybody that I've talked to thinks it's really great so I don't have any reason to doubt them yeah I'll probably end up seeing it 50 times at my house (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> of course whether yeah. I want to or not I'm with no actual decision making going on I'll be like we're watching Barbie again I'm like alright <laughs> there we go
0: like Puss in Boots dude I don't know if you've heard of Puss in Boots uh, there's yeah, this, I know like, this, uh, and The Last Wish or something my kids watch that like every day they think it's the greatest movie ever made I'm like okay okay is that
1: with Antonio Banderas yeah Antonio Banderas
0: but it's like the latest one it's Puss in oh, yeah. Boots The Last Wish apparently is just I, uh, the movie for kids. I don't know. Anyway, it's always on we, here. It's so. been
1: on at our house, but not a whole lot. Okay. That's interesting.
0: All right. So that gets us into everyone's favorite segment. What have we been watching? Because I was going to ask you if you've seen Barben, Barbie, rather, and you I've haven't. seen the
1: Heimer. You've only seen the
0: Heimer of the Barbie Heimer. Uh, That's okay. I... Have seen it, but I don't want to talk about it because, like I said, I want to save that for Megan's podcast because I want everyone to go listen to it on her thing. So I'm not going to give you my take on Barbie. You'll have to get it there. And so please honor her there. But what I do want to talk about, Tim, because we have not talked about it in person is season two of The Bear because you and I have both watched this now and you raved about it. I think you sent me a text after you had finished it that said something like, well, The Bear's the best show ever or something like that. Yes. And then I was like, yeah. But then I still had four episodes to go. I'm finally done with it and I want to talk about it with you, Tim. So here we go. The Bear season two. Obviously, if you've never started episode one, you should skip ahead a few minutes because we're going to spoil some things that you don't want to know about. But, you know,
1: this is what we do. All right, we're bench spoiling. We're gonna spoil all of it. <laughs> we're gonna spoil everything. <laughs> binge spoiler. This is about twelve hours of spoiler.
0: <laughs> People love More that. Than that. Maybe. So, what did you think? What are your overall impressions of season two, Tim? Go.
1: The real Ted Lasso.
0: Ooh. When Ted Lasso jumps
1: off of some weird, some strange cliff. This uh, is about personal, psychological, moral development systems, all that psych junk going on.
0: Yes. Good
1: food. Yes. Uh, Cultural awareness that's happening. I don't mean that like from a, I I mean that like just this show seems to like draw all kinds of different references. It's just really good. And then the acting. I mean, this show's about acting. I mean, that's really what it's about. Yeah. And then uh, the writing. I mean, the writing is good too because you can't, yeah, you need both. But it it, it was just, it's just so great that you should watch it. I can't say anything else. It's like made for the format.
0: Made for the format. It is. I loved Richie's story arc in this season. It was so good. Just like how, you know, he starts off looking for purpose. And that, that that one episode where he goes to that fancy restaurant and has to, you know, do the forks. And we just see how he thinks it's so stupid. And then I love that speech that that guy gives. He brings him out in the alley and he's like, do you think you're better than this? And then he, in that moment, like just shows him what it means to love. A restaurant and like really care about every facet of it. It was just so beautiful. And then there was that, this song that we, when there's this big montage when he's doing the forks and then we see the other characters. There's this song by David Byrne called Glass, Concrete, and Stone i had never heard that song before it blew my mind i've listened to it probably a hundred times i'm obsessed with this song it was a david byrne song from like 2014 and uh, oh my gosh like this song is so good i you probably don't even remember that but like the music is good in general it's always good but it's totally
1: aimed toward i think it's so x though and maybe millennial too but like they played a bunch of pearl jam on the first season i'm like it's just like who's even who's even done that
0: a lot it's, of wilco done that. obviously a lot of wilco of tons
1: of wilco i was mm-hmm. like oh oh okay this makes sense wilco's chicago band okay totally but so i liked it but your character you're talking about basically is like the biggest Crab. I mean, he's just like a grump and he's actively starting fights with people all the time and he's angry and he's like depressed,
0: kind of crass, kind of a meathead, you know, that whole thing. He's
1: crass. He's pretty smart, but he's also like, he basically chooses to uh, live into the bad parts of himself. That's it. Rather than like embrace the gentleness, the love that he actually has. Mm. He's kind of gone a different direction. So it's weird. It's like he's, and he's older. So he's like in his forties. Yeah. And he's trying to figure out well, can I actually have, he, and he's a failure. He's like failed at everything he's done. Yeah. Except for his, he's a good dad.
0: Yeah. And uh,
1: so this character is a great character anyway. He's a, I mean, there's, it's an ensemble cast. Let's be, Mm -hmm. there's stories from everyone in it, which I think is the form that this takes. I love it.
0: Agreed. But his arc, especially because like we see that, like you said, I love that. The, the, the love that the softness that's inside of him that we don't get to see often. We see that come out very organically, like in real time. And it's beautiful. Yeah.
1: It's also like showing as people are leaving the orbit of a dysfunctional alcoholic as they leave that orbit, that they gain health, Hmm. which is like a hard thing to hear. (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. So like as they, you know, that person died, the person killed themselves. Okay. But then they begin to, they begin that process of trying to be healthy and then Mm. have some forward and then momentum and then they fall back sometimes. But it's a really interesting uh, way to approach this. And that really family
0: that whole that episode with the family uh dinner thing, oh my mm-hmm. gosh. Bob Odenkirk playing a total jerk, by the way, just like rubbing salt in the Man, wound everywhere he gets. He was great. <laughs> I know. And then Jamie Lee Curtis, oh what a train wreck. It was beautiful.
1: So like everybody who's anybody showed up to season two because <laughs> season one was so good. That's
0: right. It was that's so right. good. Yeah. And then finally, just that season finale, like the fact that they put Carmi in the freezer and how everyone had to just do it without him and they thrived without him. Like what an ego check for him, right? Like he's like, this is my restaurant, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm doing... And it's not like he's full of himself, but then when you get in the- him in the freezer, you find out that actually a lot of it is kind of narcissism, right? Because he just has right. a meltdown, the fact that he's not the in it.
1: Yeah, he actually is becoming more like... The other character. Wow, what's his name? The one that we were just talking about. Right. Richie. He's actually becoming more like Richie the more he gets into this. So he's kind of in these awful cycles of compulsive behavior. And when he gets forced to kind of be alone in the cooler, everything yeah. A lot of stuff happens in the cooler. Have you noticed that? <laughs> yes, yes. Like, it's people true. are broke. Their will gets broken in the cooler. They make friends in the cooler. The cooler's like the spill place. stuff in
0: the cooler, but that becomes an impetus for stuff. Yeah, exactly. It's Everything like happens. It's like the inner in
1: the sanctum of the uh, restaurant and the show is the cooler. Yeah. Stuff goes down there, man. I mean, it's kind of cool. It's beautiful. No pun intended. Yeah, so I like it. I know if I really like a show, I'm like telling you what happened, like, I'm eight right now yeah,
0: right right and
1: this happened and that happened i'm not analyzing it i'm not getting too into i just like oh it's so great this happened and this guy yeah. was there and then this guy did that that gives you a good sense of the show is it's got a lot of energy and worth watching it's like i it didn't give me time to like think too much about it but i was like i just think it's great i didn't and the episodes yeah. just
0: fly by so if you are one of the unfortunate people that have not started this show please do christopher store is the writer director he's so good and yeah looking forward to season three so beautiful all right, Tim. Well, I've already kind of spoiled my theater experience. I went, uh, like I said, I went and saw both back to back. We had 15 minutes in between, which was actually cool. I haven't done that in a long time, like a double feature. My record is three movies. I did three movies in one day once, all back to back. That was pretty crazy. But, <laughs> That's like
1: astronaut diaper <laughs> viewing right there, man. I know.
0: Wow! I know you got to hold that bladder. They but, should um, sell
1: them there. They're like astronaut diaper. <laughs> You're Like how much is it? Hey, that's that's so twice gross. as much as the store.
0: I don't want to know that someone next to me in the theater is is doing their astronaut diaper. <laughs> <laughs> <You're> like a- <laughs> but yeah, because I mean, Barbies, you know, was like about two hours, and then Oppenheimer's three, so it was it was a stretch. I did take my oldest to both. Um, he, you know, it's a tough. It's in that age. He's almost sixteen, and I'm just like, it's, it's rated R, but like, you know, he's gotta like start seeing some of more mature content. When I, and some people might disagree with that decision. I think it's case by case by kids and movies. But when I was a kid, my mom and I would always go to the to some adult movies around this age. So I'm just, I don't know. Anyway, I decided you it was, should take if, extreme yeah.
1: exception to the sex in the movie, and then when you see um uh, thousands of people get murdered by a weapon of mass destruction, you'd be like, nah.
0: isn't that, Well, isn't that the hypocrisy behind this? Because of course what everyone's, thinking is, in this movie. How, what everyone's thinking is how could you bring your kid to a movie that has some sex in it, but we'll just ignore the fact, you know, hardcore violence. Oh, well, you know, no problem. Oh, uh, they're developing yeah. a
1: weapon that could kill the entire world. Oh, but right. there's a couple sex scenes. <laughs> sex scenes. Yeah, kid, I know, it's kid, absurd. Kid to this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so anyway, I saw with him. We had a good time, and it was it was just a nice day with my son. Okay, so you didn't see Barbie, but you did see Oppenheimer. Where did you see this, and when was it? Just by yourself?
1: No, I took my wife. I've been oh. using our podcast movies as an excuse to go on dates. Love it. So Great. Uh, yeah, I like the date. It's a lot of fun, and she was wanting to see it. So I don't like. For I'm like, you're going to this one. That's why we yeah. didn't. I didn't podcast on Meyer Brothers, but the uh <laughs> <laughs> that would have been terrible. I, I know. Them. Could have been bad, and then we got D and instead, so that's good. Uh-huh. But I went, so we our place. It's three hours long, and it was only playing two shows, and like one of them started at ten thirty, which at AMC means eleven fifteen. And so uh, I was like, "No, I'm not going to stay up all night." No, so way. we ended up going driving like thirty minutes away, and we went to the IMAX theater. Oh, good! So saw you saw it on IMAX. Real IMAX. That's great. yeah. And then we, with a good sound and everything, the seats weren't as bougie, but it was good. You know, seventeen dollars a ticket plus a service fee. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Had an icy, shared it with my wife because the ICs are so good. You love that icy. The AMC icy is really good. Yeah. It doesn't make up for the price of that ticket, but and no. the and the, the quality was good. I mean, it was a huge theater. It was just, it was an experience, so I can't really
0: complain. Tim spent like twenty five minutes talking about that icy on a podcast recently. It was great. You love that thing.
1: You go into that theater without a ticket, and you just get the icy. Okay, <laughs> and then you can drive to whatever other theater you want. Exactly. Put a nice chest in your car. Icy. Just go get that icy.
0: I love it. I'm so glad you saw it on IMAX because it's doing so good in IMAX. They actually extended its run. And of course, Christopher Nolan shoots on IMAX cameras, and that's like the format that he's obsessed with. So, did you? Mm-hmm. I mean, just how did it feel in there? I know you said it so. Wasn't, I can't. Yeah. I can't
1: like gate like go. Well, it was different than this because yeah. I didn't see the other. I didn't see the control group, right? True, true, uh, true. It was pretty encompassing. We had a good. We were center seat and kind okay. of forward, so it was good. And you know how it wraps a little bit. That was good. Yeah, um, right. Exactly. That's what's cool about. Trying to it. describe it, I don't know. You feel like big screen. It's it's good it's sound. a weird it's weird because half of the movie. Well, actually, probably the majority of the movie is white guys talking to each other.
0: Right. <laughs> Very true. <laughs>
1: So you don't really need the IMAX for white guys talking to each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can do any format for that. But when they do the detonation of the bomb yeah. and they do some of the other scenes, that's where it really pays off to have the good sound and the huge format.
0: Like in the gym, like I could imagine that, like when he's, mm-hmm. you know, imagining what's happening, I could imagine that was really powerful.
1: Yeah. So it's almost like you need big format stuff to have a big format.
0: It did make a little more sense with, like, you know, Nolan's Dark Knight or something you see. I remember I saw that in IMAX. That was awesome. But, but still, Did you
1: yeah. do Dunkirk in uh, mm-hmm. IMAX, too? Yeah,
0: and I actually saw that in IMAX in New York City. I went to see my friends in right. Manhattan. Actually, it was in Manhattan, speaking of which. And I went and we saw, I know, oh, it's that, all coming cool. back.
1: <laughs> it blew my mind. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> ah that's so bad. You so got you go. two dads here. There's a lot of children. And, a lot you know, of dad jokes. Six kids, a lot of dads. Yep yeah yeah.
0: it's a yeah i do dad jokes every morning for my teams at work and they really really don't like it but i still do it so there you go
1: john you've wasted all of our time
0: (laughs) (laughs) so yeah no it was good he's been doing imax for quite a while ever since he kind of became the summer event dude and so yeah dunkirk um and dark knight i mean going all the way back to dark knight so yeah i'm glad you saw it on imax cool There you go. Mm -hmm. Well, why don't you, Tim, since you're kind of becoming the resident expert, there has to be at least one person that doesn't know what Oppenheimer is. What's this movie about? What's going on in this movie?
1: Okay. Okay. Break it down. Here we go. (laughs) The movie's based on a book, first off. Mm. So can I I start with that and then do that? (laughs) Yeah. So the movie's based on uh, American Prometheus, which is written by two guys. One of them is Kai Bird, and the other one, I want to say, Sherwin is his last name. Mm -hmm. So I have a connection to the book. Albeit strange, the guy that wrote the book, the Kai Bird guy, yeah, he w- went to school with my dad either in the same class with my dad or in the class after my dad. But my dad really? told me about it before he died. He's like, yeah, he wrote this book. It's, and it's a Pulitzer <laughs> Prize winning book. Oh, I had no idea. And you have an actual connection there. That's so cool. So here's how weird it is. So my dad goes to this little tiny boarding school in India. Wow. This guy was in the same class and they made not that weird what are the
0: odds of that?
1: So anyway, so I kind of knew of this book before the thing, but here's your, your plot summary. It's a historical figure it's a biography of uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer and he was a physicist in America and he was trained in England America England and also in Germany
0: mm-hmm.
1: and he was one of the early physicists that did quantum and he helped develop the atomic bomb During World War II at Los Alamos, and that's called the Manhattan Project, where we were developing the bomb. And the film focuses on his kind of persecution after he becomes this hero for developing the bomb in America. It focuses on, well, then he gets his security clearance revoked in this like kind of straw man trial. Right. Yeah. And they take it away and they humiliate him.
0: And he has this beef with this admiral, played by Robert Downey Jr., called Lewis Strauss. And there's like confirmation hearings that this all comes up. Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: So yeah, so it's all like it's historical. It's complicated. There's lots of characters because life has lots of ki- people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. There's historical figures, and it kind of goes through that. But and then it also examines. It's like okay, so he was, a, you know, he wasn't technically a member of the Communist Party, but he really supported workers' rights and like a lot of people did during the depression and he gets politically persecuted when the cold War occurs because they, they're like, we're going to get this guy. It talks about Strauss a lot, but also just in general, the climate allowed for that too is like, Hey, is this guy red McCarthy and and all that. Yeah. Yeah. So there've been a lot of those themes before, but this one is with, yeah, this one is kind of captivating because of what Oppenheimer did with the bomb.
0: There you go. Beautiful. So, it's like his life, his work, controversies surrounding all of it, and yeah.
1: It's a lot. There's a lot of it's little... It's a lot going
0: on. And the book is hours. more so. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, Good. All right. Let's talk about some acting. Beginning with, of course, the man of the hour, Cillian Murphy, who plays Oppenheimer. Tim... What do you remember if you like think of him before this? Like, what was is there one movie that just stands out in your mind as, like, oh, yeah, that guy?
1: I just think of him as the Peaky Blinders guy.
0: Peaky Blinders. Have you seen it? Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you because I haven't, but I heard uh, it was good.
1: I've seen some of it. It just got a little, I thought that the acting was good, and then I felt the writing got repetitive and very much like Goodfellas ish, uh, okay. which is good. That's I usually bummer. like that. Yeah. I usually like that, but I can't watch a series over and over. Like, The Sopranos is that same way for me, Sopranos, where I'm just like, okay, and- I'm a little bit tired of this now. World I
0: Empire. I know they all kind of follow that same thing yeah
1: yeah okay they're gonna kill the person that we didn't want him to kill the most okay mm-hmm. all right
0: <laughs> I think for me it's actually 28 days later because I remember when that came out in I was actually it came out the summer after high school after I graduated high school going into college that movie came out and he silly Murphy, started it It was a very like different take on zombie movies which was cool it felt very refreshing and scary at the time so yeah and then but he's been in a ton of stuff Peaky Blinders you know he was in Inception, and I remember he was even in a Danny Boyle film called Sunshine, which I really liked when that came out. I don't know if you ever saw that, but I forget even what it's about. But it has something to do with the I sun. I don't know that
1: one. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's good. It's a good movie.
1: So I mean, he's a good he actor. really looks like freaking Oppenheimer. He does. Like if you look at photos, you're like, oh, he's like a good looking Oppenheimer.
0: <laughs> do you know Do you know that he actually like wanted to look like him in the sense of being as skinny and kind of lanky as oh, him? And man. so he restricted himself to a diet of one almond a day to get to be as skinny as Oppenheimer.
1: That sounds For dreadful. Yeah. <laughs> For four days. <laughs> no. Well, because Oppenheimer was like, what, 5'10", 5'11", but he only weighed like 130. Yes. That's uh, awful. So and he chain smoked, which kind of made it so he didn't have to eat. Mm-hmm. So yeah,
0: uh, but he is—he's a great actor. He has those beautiful, like, piercing eyes that just—you mm-hmm. know—like when you do a close-up on that guy's face, like it's—it's it's so arresting. And he's intense. Everything I've ever seen him in, he is just a hundred percent committed and he just has an intensity about him i i even watched this terrible movie the other day not terrible but it wasn't the best um called in time with justin timberlake and but he was the villain in it and he was so good like he just elevates things i guess is what i'm trying to say like he, it just feels like he classes up the joint when he's in something i love him
1: yeah it's kind of surprising like why wasn't he in more stuff yeah, I mean, I he's, been he's, in, a a good chunk he's on, in a lot.
0: He's in a lot. Yeah. Yeah. but you're right. It's not like 100 movies or something. I mean, like he he does pick and choose his roles carefully and his words carefully too. Because on the festival circuit, I keep seeing these videos where people are like, "Would you be in Barbie too?" And it's like, why would you even ask him that? But he was like, "Yeah, you know, let's talk. Let's show me a script. Let's have a discussion." That's like very diplomatically. Uh, That's good stuff. <laughs> said.
1: not gonna alienate anybody in the industry. He's like, "Barbie's great. I don't want to alienate I want lots of work." <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I think we both agree. He did a really good job here. I think he's basically a shoe in for best actor nom on this. I mean, he just, you know, he's in every frame and he is the movie and he does a great job of channeling everything that Oppenheimer's spirit. And I thought he was great. Yeah,
1: he doesn't talk like Oppenheimer because Oppenheimer's so boring. Like, the oh, I didn't know. Is there what was
0: his cadence? Like, what's the difference?
1: They say in the book that he, like, in the book, he's like supposed to be like charismatic, but I think he's charismatic in his ideas. I don't uh-huh. necessarily think he's like has a charismatic speaking voice because when I've heard him interviewed and stuff, yeah. he's like, "How hey, you How are you doing?" <laughs> like very monotone, like a physics. Like, you'd imagine a physicist to be, but I, uh, I think he was charismatic in his. Uh, Ideas and he's witty, so like, in that film captured that. Is that he, yeah. he, he always had a comeback that would a comeback where he could answer a question that was a yes or no question in a way that would uh, help him get out of it. Yeah,
0: he's a brilliant dude. Yeah. yeah. All right, Robert Downey Jr. So I don't know. He played he, he, he plays a lot, or he, like he's a huge part of this movie. And I feel like you know it's just kind of a more real Tony Stark is like what what <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. is bringing to this, right? He's just like fast talking constantly like you know outmaneuvering things and he's just like this kind of sleazy congressman sort of dude who's trying to get confirmed and he's done some things that are not great uh to other people and so i don't know but like yeah that's what he reminded me of just sort of like a more grounded tony stark what did you think of robert in this one
1: yeah i thought he was good i i think uh he just is the heel you know he just had to play a bad guy right who appeared to be like working in everyone's best interest but it like a huge stretch
0: for him. And I don't know. He might get it nominated just because. But like it wouldn't be like something where I'm like, oh, yeah, that performance. But it was he was great. Yeah.
1: like the real I mean and it, it captured it in the movie but like where it really happens is basically Oppenheimer was making fun of him in some of these hearings
0: oh yeah totally with the what was it the isotopes or something like that yeah
1: because yeah, he's like oh, he didn't want to export isotopes to other European countries right and he's like oh it's just the same he's like how dangerous are they oh like a donut or a shovel <laughs>
0: or no a beer he said a shovel or a beer and everyone laughs, laughs and you can like see it. yeah. it's kind of like when Obama made that um, joke about Trump at the dinner and you can and go back and look at the video of Trump's face and you know that forever he's going to be on a vendetta you know and it's like that with Strauss it was just like that's it you know I'm going to destroy this man
1: yeah and that's the real thing right but they also in the book they get into like all these things is Strauss I guess I think Strauss is also Jewish he's just very overtly Jewish and Oppenheimer is trying sometimes tries to like minimize his Jewishness which so it's a very interesting the book gets way more into that than the movie okay because you don't have time for all that yeah anyway
0: yeah matt damon general groves what i liked about damon in this is that he actually did play against type uh for this one like he was just a grumpy jerk of a general dude you know who's like it's gonna be my way and that's the way it's gonna be and like i've not seen matt damon in that kind of just sort of very unlikable role and i thought it was kind of (laughs) cool
1: I liked him. I, thought, I didn't think he, yeah, I didn't think he was mean. I thought he just had a job to do. Oh, and you he, like literally like, liked him as a person. Uh huh. I didn't think he was mean. I think he's like I got to get this done. Like he yeah. was very focused. That's uh, true. Like, got to get this to, done.
0: He tried to genuinely protect him. It wasn't like he was just being obstinate. Like he had his best interests at heart, but he was trying to do a lot of juggle a lot of things. Yeah.
1: But also, he knew him. Why he walked into that room and he knew Oppenheimer before he had even talked to him. He knew everything about him. That scene you know, was like great. that. And it was really cool. So I was impressed with that. And then I thought Damon played it right, and he never he didn't really lie to him ever. Right. He told him, like, hey, I'll tell you what I can... I, I'll communicate to you what I can communicate to you, but I can't communicate more than that. Yep. You know, whatever is possible, I'll do. And he didn't, like, offer him. In the film, it didn't look like he offered him anything he couldn't offer him.
0: And he did concede on points that were... You know, like he, he had, like, this This should be the way it is, but he also would, like, back down at some points when, you know, and let Oppenheimer yeah. do it. And his was there.
1: a scientist in real life. Mm. I mean, before oh, I didn't he know was that. Studied wow. at MIT in chemistry.
0: You know, they did mention that uh, briefly now that I remember. Uh, Oppenheimer calls him on and it's like, oh, you forgot to tell me you were actually a scientist, too. Yeah. yeah. All right. And then Florence Pugh, she plays, you know, the kind of mentally unstable ex-girlfriend of Oppenheimer. She did great. Emily Blunt as well. So you've got these two women that form his relationship history and they're both very complicated women and the these actresses are up to the challenge. So like I said, Florence Puga has like, you know, it's very clingy and wants like everything from him and he feels like he can't give it but also he does genuinely love her. And then Emily Blunt is like having to freaking raise kids on a Base for years, and that's just hard. So, like, yeah, challenging.
1: And they're interesting in real life. Like, they're both like kind of flawed characters in real life. Like, so one of them is a psychiatrist who commits suicide. She was a psychiatrist. So, like, Kit, oh, the first man. one yeah. I missed that. Yeah, and then Kitty or Catherine or whatever she was, who's his wife for till his death. Yep. She's got her own issues, right? So she she, she is very, yeah. So, and she's an alcoholic and she's not the greatest
0: parents, either of them, I would say, as far as as what the movie uh -uh. depicted.
1: Yeah. I don't think that they, yeah. And then she, like, it was this fourth, I mean, she... she, he was her fourth husband. Wow. Which they depicted like it's the first. Yeah. No, fourth wow, wow, wow. <laughs> so, like, yeah there you go and like <laughs> still like you know 29 or something and on her fourth husband i was like dang man you're working you're running through it here wow that's impressive yeah. but basically showing and the point i'm making here is like she was struggling in relationships yeah and struggling with relationship success i'm not trying to condemn anybody in no, the long dead not. but like no. the point being like she really struggled with long-term relationships i guess she found that with oppenheimer Mm -hmm. Uh, Because then they were together forever. Right. And
0: like, even though their relationship was kind of dysfunctional at times, like they did genuinely love each other and they had each other's back through, through hell. I think he even says like, we've been through hell together and it's true. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's like he, in the book they get really into, he developed intellectually very quickly, but emotionally he was, he, he didn't have that. He developed later so that he was kind of more compulsive in his relationships and more yeah, it was It just he was not balanced. Seems like and a common they, they pitfall
0: among intellectual types, right? May, they tend to struggle with emotional expression. It's a stereotype, but like, and I'm sure that's not always the case.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I Yeah, I think, I mean, not saying I don't know. I know that some intellectuals that are incre- have that ability, but I think it's like you, if you can lean on your strength, people tend to do that no matter what their strength is. Yeah. Yeah, for Oppenheimer, I think he was uh, an, an excellent physicist. But he was also like a, you know, he was almost like a classicist. He knew all these languages, ancient languages. Including Sanskrit or whatever. Like, yeah, oh right. Gosh. And he was so well read. He he just read everything. Yeah. And and it wasn't just he read all the physics. He read literature, poetry, wrote poetry. And so he was this kind of person that could see the world in different ways intellectually. I don't necessarily think that meant that he was capable emotionally of seeing it. But I feel like he could see it. He could look at a situation and look at it from different angles that a typical physicist couldn't do.
0: Yeah, which is how he was able to make this breakthrough in science that has never been done before. That's right. Yeah. We need people like that. But just great mm-hmm. acting all around from everyone we talked about. And there's just so many other people we can't even get to. Kenneth Branagh is in this, Jack Quay, Josh Hartnett. I mean, there's just everyone, like you said, there's so many characters because that's life. And uh, there's like a good actor in every single one of those roles. So really good. My wife was cosplay. really
1: happy to see Josh Hartnett all dolled up on the big Josh screen. Josh Hartnett. He's making a resurgent. I
0: I just saw him in Black Mirror. He did an episode with Aaron Paul. And uh, there you go. So Josh Hartnett's coming back. She has a back, crush y'all. on him.
1: Yeah, yeah, she's a crush on that she's guy. a
0: heartthrob. I mean, you know, mm. I saw Pearl Harbor in the theater once, back in his real like, heartthrob days. who's Ben days. Affleck?
1: I like this Josh Hartnett guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
0: All right, Tim, let's move on to the real man of the hour, Mr. Christopher Nolan. Mm-hmm. So, way back in the day, I watched a movie that totally blew my mind, and I think blew everyone's mind, which is called Memento. That was my first taste of Christopher Nolan. I still think it's probably his best movie. And I don't think that's very controversial. It's just he's one of those unique, unforgettable films. It's the way that it's shot, the way that it's put together. It's just, you know, one of those mind trips that really works.
1: Now, what's the first? He made like a movie for like 6,000 pounds.
0: Yeah, it was like The Following, I think it was. The Something Following. About
1: yeah, yeah. It's a feature length film that he made for the price of The Film.
0: It's so great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's in black and white, I think, and yeah. it's
1: watchable. Yeah. You it's can watch watchable. It. I've watched part of it before. There you go. It's like super watchable. And then Memento is the big one and Memento is like didn't I don't think it had a huge budget did it
0: no I, that was a straight indie like I mean you were talking a very small film that took off because it just sort of gained a following and was, everyone loves that movie yeah or it, it did was, I was word of growing.
1: mouth I just remember hearing people go you got to see this movie what is it memento you've never heard of this before yeah. but you've got to see it and you watch it and you're like oh. <laughs> it had one of the most
0: <laughs> annoying DVD menus ever made I, this was back when like DVD was like you know huge and you would have sometimes you'd have these like really interesting menus that correspond with the theme of the movie well this was supposed to get yeah. get to like i don't know psychiatric hospital or something you'd have to click all around and then it would take you to the wrong place and it would be like you 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 can't be here anymore and then it would take you back to the it was like supposed to be kind of a game to get to what you needed but when you just need because, to get to a uh, scene
1: but <laughs> because memento is so it's like basically putting you through this horrible process of memento because it's a chronologically not it's not letting you watch the movie and it how it was cut you're having to like It's jumping here to there to here to there, just like you would if you were the character in the movie.
0: Yeah, so the menu reflected that.
1: So it was a good idea, but not really great for actually watching the movie.
0: (laughs) Good idea, but very frustrating when you want to just you know actually use the menu. Could you watch?
1: Could you watch it forward then if you did that? <laughs>
0: yes, there was a forward option, but literally you had to go online to figure out the steps to get to it because it was so complicated. Like, you Did had you do to, it? I did it. Yeah, I eventually did it. I don't remember what the experience was like because I was back in college, but I mean, it, it was the on that DVD. The most
1: frustrating DVD course. in the world. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but anyway we've actually talked about nolan before on our dunkirk podcast we went through all almost all of his movies so if you want more of an in-depth dive into his filmography check out dunkirk tim and i already covered that but we're both big fans of nolan right what, what would you say tim that he that you like about him when you win when, when a new christopher nolan movie comes out like what gets you excited about seeing it what does he bring to the table
1: i mean there's always good cinematography. Now I may like ditch on the Batman like let's just put Batman in a separate well here. Yeah, sure. Okay, okay, here's Batman. But generally it's like a really interesting story. The characters are well developed. Sometimes they'll do a like film noir kind of stuff mm-hmm. where there's kind of light and dark play, which you get in the Batman, right? Mm-hmm. And it never insults your intelligence. Very
0: intelligent. yeah, exactly. Uh-huh.
1: So every one of these films is for people who want to think about the movie. Yeah. And experience the movie. And then he ha- usually has some kind of authorial intent. We talk about that all the time. Directorial intent. Yeah. So that he's trying to say something with this film without saying it overtly.
0: Well said. It's always interesting, too, how he his career has shifted because... You can, like I, we said, came out with that indie, the following, and then Memento, and then he made Insomnia, which f- also felt very small and intimate. You know, that was when with Robin Williams as a serial killer and Al Pacino, and you know, in Alaska and stuff, Light and Dark Place. Speaking of which, that was yeah. like the king of that. But then, you know, of course, you get to Batman, and then everything sort of shifts, and now he's become more of this sort of summer event dude. I don't know if you think about like Inception and The Dark Knight and Tenet and now and Dunker. Kirk, and now this i mean i remember when they were doing teaser previews for Oppenheimer like a year ago and it was like there was no content it was just like it's coming christopher nolan's new movie like how did he become the summer guy like it's kind of crazy
1: i like it i'd prefer this to some dumb <laughs> some michael bay Marvel transformers movie. Or michael, yeah. Mike, yeah right so yeah i would prefer this i think this is better but i i don't know
0: I'm sure it was just as surprising to him. I highly doubt when he made Memento that he thought he would be making like huge tentpole features, but
1: yeah. Hard to know what he was thinking. I mean, I probably just loved film. Yeah.
0: All right. So let's talk about how he does with Oppenheimer. So Tim, I'm going to throw the first shot across the bow. Okay. Yes. I think Oppenheimer is slightly overrated and I was actually a bit disappointed with the film. I'm sorry. I know. I see it in your eyes. This is going to be brutal. So here's the thing. I think that the heart of this movie is obviously like, you know, Oppenheimer builds this bomb. And it's something that's never been done before. And then he regrets that invention for the rest of his life because he knows that this is probably going to lead to us destroying ourselves like forever, like game over. And I think that's the heart of the story, right? And if they had just stayed with that theme, we'd be okay. But instead, so much of this movie, I would say an hour and a half at least, is confirmation hearings. Is he a communist? Strauss, you know, the security clearance. I feel like so much is not related to what I feel is the actual centerpiece of the movie and the thing that actually is the most arresting part of the movie. And so I was very disappointed with how sprawling and kind of all over the place it felt instead of kind of laser focused like I wanted it to be. What do you think about this?
1: So, Nolan would be anti war, anti nuke, right? Mm -hmm. But Oppenheimer wasn't anti nuke. He was, you know, in in any way. So, I think like to give that message, like he regrets ever making the bomb, wouldn't be, is actually not how he felt.
0: Really? Okay. No. Please explain more about that because it seemed that way, like with the whole Einstein thing. And, you know, I don't know. But,.
1: I think yeah. to grasp what you've done and that is different than to re- regret, regret what you've done.
0: Well, even yeah. Strauss says that he would do it over again. He knows that he would if he you know could.
1: Yeah, and I think the idea is that he realized, at least the film captures this. You see this in the book, that he realizes what he's doing. Mm-hmm. He's no longer making a weapon. He's making a like, thing that could obliterate the world, which is not a weapon. Because it's bigger than the targets if you go with the H-bomb. There's no target that we need an H-bomb for. Yes. Like nothing. Yeah, it's too big. So we have weapons bigger than targets now. I think what he was looking at is how do we deal with this power now that we do have it. And indeed we could. And and, and he was very realistic versus like Truman's like, we got to keep a wrap on this or the Soviets will get it. He's like, the Soviets are going to get this no matter what. He said, it's not that I mean, it's complicated, but it ain't that complicated. And they got good scientists. And now that they know it can be done, it will be done. And it did. And yeah. so his take is, well, how do we, now that we have the power to destroy the world, let's limit arms. Mm-hmm. So let's limit it. We've seen what it can do because he's even an advocate of putting it on a real per, a human target. Yeah. Like he would advocate that so you could see how horrible this is because, I mean, even in the film, it's like, well, if we just tell him how bad it is or we show him a fireworks show, nobody will comprehend how horrible this is. Mm-hmm. So we've got to actually drop it on people
0: and there's that tension right because like he actually kind of supported the nagasaki thing but at the same time was very uncomfortable with it obviously <laughs> so yeah there's a tension there
1: yeah i think he had there's this tension inside but i also think he's very resolute and we're going to do this not that he even has the power to do it he just has the power to develop it yeah and they do but i think throughout the whole thing it's like we don't need to have a hydrogen bomb mm-hmm. throughout the whole film we don't need a hydrogen bomb. There's no one guy was obsessed
0: it. with it and he kept just shutting it down. Yeah, totally. Because he,
1: Yeah, he wanted the science of it. He just thought it was cool and he wanted his name in the books and he ended up getting his name in the books for it. So for him, I don't think it was, should we do it or should we, should we not drop this bomb? I think it was more of the lines like what is now that we live in a nuclear world, we're going to have an arms race. How do we limit this and how do we make sure that nobody does uses this ever again? Sure. So that's like way more okay. nuanced than being pro or anti-bomb. I got you. No, that's good. It's I'm much glad you more like that people yeah. don't even know what this is and the only way to show them is to drop it, which is like, oh. So
0: it's feelings so, yeah. were much more complex than either for or against. Now, but what did you think about the structure? Like what I was referring to with the, yeah.
1: Well, the book, the tension in the book is, it's about his, the trial of Robert Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. So in the book they use, it's the subtitles American Prometheus. So Prometheus is this uh, figure in Greek mythology who steals fire from the gods, ends up having some kind of bird peck his liver out for in front of everybody. And so the idea is that's Oppenheimer. He, he, he gets the fire from the gods for human beings and then they peck his liver out in front of everybody. Got it. And, yeah. They basically undermined him and demoralized him and took away any power that he had. And then kind of made him a byword at the end of his life. So that's the original intent is to show that this guy gave the world this thing and did like this impossible task. He regrets, I think, the fact that it's possible. Yeah. It's like, wouldn't it be great if this wasn't possible? <laughs> you know, like wouldn't it be wouldn't the world be a better place if it wasn't possible to have a nuclear bomb? I think so. But it is. So for him, he advocates, how do we not ever use this? How do we mediate this? Uh, In some some cases, and he'd say without an arms, like an arms buildup is not that. But we need to make find ways to to never use this again.
0: But are you for or against the way Nolan structured it?
1: Well, I think, are you, I'm wondering if you have an idea of what you think the movie is, and then maybe Nolan is doing it more like the book. Maybe. I, Do you think no one's putting something on top of this? What I just think
0: is that, like, even from the very beginning, we don't, it doesn't take any time to even draw us in. It's like from minute one, there's not even opening credits. It's just like we're launched in to talking, 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 talking. And, you know, this happens and this happens, and this happens. And it's just like so, like, this breakneck speed. But I feel like what's actually happening isn't that interesting in at least half of the movie half of it is like obviously everything that happens at los alamos all that like stuff about the aftermath at the gymnasium where he's imagining you know and understanding the devastating effects of his work okay like all that's perfect and it's brilliant but the other stuff just like all those scenes in that those rooms and in before congress it just goes on and on and i feel like if you didn't have the pulsating music Behind it,
1: it would be so boring. It's true because, but that may, be, may speak more to our attention span than anything else. Uh, Spielberg had to do a similar thing to, with Lincoln, right? Sure. Because lobbying, watching somebody do congressional lobbying is not really that interesting. Okay, let's be honest. No, but why make your movie about that at all? But it's important. So yeah. for him, I think he thought this was important. He basically said, "This guy cha- He changes the world. So the world is never the same. We're in a new era of nuclear arms now." Yeah. where we have the ability to destroy ourselves, which we had never had up until that moment in Los Alamos. We had never had that ability to destroy Whole cities with a by dropping a bomb.
0: Of course, and that's the crux of the movie. That's what it's all about. But that's not what the movie's all about. That's about what half the movie's about.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that that's the backdrop of the movie. I think there's been tons of stuff that talks about that. I mean, I think we've been talking about that since it occurred. Mm-hmm. I think this is talking about what who is the human being behind the development of that. Hmm. I think that's what that is interesting. Is he's complex. He's not. He's moral in some areas. He's not moral in others. He reg- he has a nuanced view on the nuclear thing. He is leans towards socialist slash communist ideals. He develops as a human being over time, rather than just being like, "Well, what were you doing 20- in 1925 And they're interviewing him in nineteen fifty two. He changed. He says multiple times, "Well, I-, I changed my mind since then, or I've developed as a person since then." Yeah. And I think that there's something to that. Like, I don't think that's disingenuous. Totally. So are we allowed to have heroes who are screwed up in real life? Because we can do it with supervillains in Marvel movies or or just anybody in a Marvel movie. Can we have people in real life who are more screwed up than we want them to be? Mm -hmm. And then maybe there are people that, when you look at history, you're like, well, maybe Oppenheimer's not a hero or a villain. What is he? Mm -hmm. And we have to ask that question. Which I think is like, this really gets into it. And does the communist thing really play into that or not? I don't know. Or do we as a country... Or as a world, use people to get what we want and then discard them. That's another question. Of course, right? Yeah. And so maybe you're a hero and you're zeitgeist, but then later on everything changes. You're not hero material anymore.
0: Sure. So. I guess. I am I know what you're saying. I don't know just struggled with it. I was just expecting something else, I guess. I just was hoping for something that was more laser-focused on the bomb element that it just drew you into this story. I wanted something that kind of felt like a ticking time bomb, and this felt more like bureaucratic... I don't know.
1: I don't know. know I mean, isn't that what this was?
0: I guess. I guess. I just was expecting, like, do you know, like, what it reminded me of was JFK. You remember JFK, right? Oliver Stone. Oliver Stone. And it's like, it it reminded me of that in a bit because it was like, that had that same black and white to color and lots of talking and back and forth and we're covering all this ground. But that movie feels like. Every minute is like compelling and is just like, you know, walloping you over the head with powerful stuff, but this one ah, so much of but it is like Don't you like the contrast?
1: So, so isn't he a contrast to the superhero movie? Which is you want Thor to bring the fire of the gods, right? Sure. But you're going to get this weird physicist beardcot instead, right? <laughs> Not a cot, but a dorky yeah. physicist with a weird personal life, right? Yeah. You want Thor. You want some buff guy. I'm saying you, meaning most of us. Sure. We want some buff guy that's charismatic and has long hair and giant pecs, right? Mm -hmm. That's what we want for our god character. But instead, the guy that brings the fire from the gods is this like super skinny, gaunt, witty physicist, dorky guy. Okay, so he's that guy. But that's like that's the real. That's the guy that had the real power, had the ability to get that actual power that could destroy the whole world. It's not Thanos or any any of these heroes that we see here. Right. And so if you want like a a superhero movie that goes like fast and doesn't require too many brain cells... Then go with this Marvel stuff. But if you want to like actually get into like this actually happened, then you're gonna have okay. to deal with nuance. You're gonna okay, have to do difficult Tim.
0: conversations. Feel slightly insulted here. Obviously, I don't want <laughs> a superhero Oppenheimer movie. I just want something that stays focused on the actual heart of the piece and doesn't meander into two hours of congressional hearings.
1: <laughs> I'm arguing for argument's sake. Yes, it gets. You have to know a lot of info in order to get the uh, what's going on, the full picture of the
0: man. I see your argument. I get it. But you're absolutely
1: right about this, is that it is at the expense of the drama. Yes. And it's at the expense of the tension because you have to go, all right, they got me whooped up into a frenzy, now I've got to listen to some congressional hearing. Right. And so then they've got to do the music and all that. I think you're right about that. I don't know if there's any other way. Okay. I
0: just see it in my mind. I feel like we just need a page one rewrite. And we need to abandon Strauss, and we need to abandon (laughs) the security confirmation hearing, and we just go straight to Los... And the whole movie's about Los Alamos and the aftermath. The end. That, to me, could work. So then it
1: could be called Manhattan Project and have nothing to do with Oppenheimer.
0: It still is about Oppenheimer. You still have Cillian Murphy, and you have this amazing, nuanced performance, and... uh...
1: So I think this is like one of the drawbacks to doing... You talked about JFK... And I said Lincoln. Anytime mm-hmm. you take a political figure, which Oppenheimer clearly is a political figure and a scientist, even though he didn't—he didn't like politics, he played politics quite well.
0: Yeah, right.
1: Anytime you take any of these figures, they're gonna be, there's going to be—there's going to be tons of backroom meetings. There's going to be tons of, you know, c- congressional hearings. There's going to be all these things that occur. FBI surveillance. It's going to be at the expense of the drama, no matter what. So if you want to, like, so you kind of have this choice to make: Do I want to be? consistent with what happened or am I going to like take what happened and turn it into a narrative that I want it to be?
0: Mm -hmm. That's what I want.
1: Well, I think there's degrees of everything, right? (laughs) So, like you could be halfway in the middle. You could be one side or the other, but I think that's like the real pitfall of these things. If you're trying to, if you don't have a character that you can manipulate, you just have the, a biography, Mm -hmm. it becomes very difficult to do and keep the drama.
0: But that's what it felt like to me—is that he was trying, like that, the, the, because you don't even have an opening, right? You get you—he, he, it's like he was like, "I got so much to cover, we got to get to it." That's how every moment of this movie felt to me. It's like I got to get to that, then I got to get to that. It sort of feels like the worst kind of book adaptations, you know, that feels like they have to be faithful to everything, kind of like the first two Harry Potter movies, where it's like we got to cover this and we got to cover that, or else people will be mad if we don't. And then it's like you're losing what could have been. And then the Harry Potter movies get better when they actually took some liberties and were like, oh, we don't have to actually cover every little plot point and we can sort of even change some things and make it this more dramatic film.
1: Yeah, but what's different though is with Harry Potter, I hate to break this to you, Harry Potter is not real. What? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Wait yes. a second. J. Robert Oppenheimer. And all, the, and okay. all the people in this movie and events were real.
0: Yes, I know.
1: You can't just like kind of go loosey-goosey on that you can to a certain degree i mean that's happened in a lot of films and that gets heavily critiqued
0: Well, you also don't have to cover everything that happened you don't have to
1: that's true and maybe there was too much covered i don't know but i think it's a valid critique i think that you're always going to have that with this kind of stuff historical biographies
0: all right we got to move on but we'll we'll circle back on our final takes so let's just briefly touch on the score because i feel like we can't not touch on this so we're you know most people still are synonymous with christopher nolan and hans zimmer because so much of you know it was like it kind of became a caricature like with inception it was like every movie of nolan's was like bomb and it was like, here yeah. comes Hans Zimmer again. <laughs> it's just like that, the bah. That's yeah, you're right. right. but then he actually switched um, the composers. Like now for his, for Tenant, which I still have not seen, unfortunately. But for Tenet and this one, he went with Ludwig Göransson. And yeah, man, I don't know. Like that score is is really doing a lot of work here. Because, like I said, I, li- I, <laughs> I more than one on more than one occasion, I was like, I was, I started to feel manipulated. By the score, because I'm actually listening to what they're talking about, and it's incredibly dry and boring, and I'm like, wait, but I'm supposed to be feeling suspense here. And I was like, I had to actually stepped out of it, and I was like, this score is doing a lot of work.
1: You're like, <laughs> is this, did you write this uh, in a physics paper, 1937, uh, uh, that you could possibly be um, sympathetic to a communist cause? And uh, if so... And they're like... It's bo- like
0: there's that's the whole signature movie. here
1: on on uh, receivables. Da, 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 da. <laughs> <laughs> I alright, I agree. I will yield to this critique and okay. agree wholeheartedly that yes, when somebody is signing the uh invoice or whatever for uh uranium or something, you have to have some you gotta have some music there. Gotta have some, some music. Some some decent stuff that's gonna try to engage you. Agreed. Yes.
0: And on that point alone, Gorenson deserves an Oscar nom because this dude made some paint drying very, very suspenseful in parts. So, yeah.
1: I tip my hat to him. Tip my hat as well. I agree. (laughs) All right, Tim.
0: (laughs) Let's talk about some themes and let's wrap this up. So, what I I think some of these themes are pretty obvious, but what was the most prominent theme that stood out to you for us to dive into here?
1: Uh, Of the film? Yeah, the film. (laughs) I think it's hard to distinguish the themes of the film versus my desire to have this be about nuclear weapons.
0: Right. Which is what we all kind of want to talk about, but is that what I the movie is I want it to be
1: like that, but I think the movie is really about kind of disposable heroes. Hm. Mm-hmm. And so that when we no longer need someone, we just dispose of them. Yeah. But when we need them, we use them. And I'm talking we as in like a country or, you know, even bigger than that, like, uh, yeah, this, I think that happens. So we don't pay homage to people who we have relied upon for even our existence, right? It's the yeah. kind of disposable hero theme. Totally.
0: I mean, you could even argue... This is. I don't know if I should say this, but like... And I'm not... And I totally understand all the takes, but you could argue that sometimes we're even a little bit dismissive of some famous figures in history simply because, I mean, they were terrible... Like, Our history is so flawed, it's not even funny. We're talking about slaveholders built this country. So all of those critiques are valid. I'm not in any way saying that we're overdoing the critiques. I'm just saying... Sometimes I feel like we do take some things for granted. There's a great Will Butler song that talks about that, that kind of looks back at your history. And it's like, it's basically the whole point of the song is like George Washington looking at us and saying, you know, yeah, I know you judge me. I know you do. But guess what? You're living off the fruit of my spoils, basically is what the song is about. And I think there's, that's a valid point, is that we can kind of isolate ourselves in 2023 and been like, they're so evil. But yet here we are in America. So I, I, th-
1: I think about like Thomas Jefferson. Right, I listened to the David McCullough biography on John Adams when I was painting. I was painting my mom's porch because anyway, I went to go visit her, and I always try to do something to help around the house. Yeah, so I listened to this, and basically, this guy is like a little like Oppy in the sense of he's. I think Oppenheimer was more of a humanitarian than Jefferson is by a long way. But you you see this like duplicitous like, okay, well you developed the bomb, you were willing to use it, but now you're anti nuke.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. And, and it's
1: kinda like, uh you own slaves, you benefited from slaves, they uh paid for your lavish lifestyle now, but you're anti slavery. Yeah. And then so in the 50s, Jefferson's probably some hero at the Waspy Elementary School, right? Oh, you owe everything to Jefferson. And then like now you're like, oh, he's a creep. What a <laughs> totally. creepy, slave-owning, freaky dude. Yeah. And people were confronting him about that even in his own era. Like John Adams is, you know, you know, slavery can't exist. How can you do this? And his wife's even more so. And he, and he, and he ended up, you know, he was – and the whole time he was doing that, he's sleeping with one of the slaves. And he has yeah, a bunch of I know. kids that he won't acknowledge. So it's like everything is
0: nuanced. Everything is flawed. But when you actually go back, like I watched that John Adams series on HBO, and I don't know, there's a part of me that's like, dang, like, I don't know when he's making the speech about like, we should have inalienable rights, that, you know, we should not be like, you know, despots of a king, you know, whatever. Like you start to think, wow, these are terribly, terribly flawed human beings who actually had some really important ideas that formed a country. They
1: didn't, but they didn't live into them. <laughs> but they didn't live, exactly. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I'm not asking you to like Jefferson. I'm not asking you to think he's a good guy at all. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the ideas that Jefferson comes up with are good ideas. Yeah, but that I feel like now we cannot accept that. Where no, he's just a he's just he's an just asshole. We evil. can't nothing. Right. N- everything about that guy is wrong, and we can't accept even any of his ideas. I'd be like, well, maybe he. You know, he did the Declaration of Independence. He, mm-hmm. you know, he had a lot of stuff going. Yeah, he was super flawed, super selfish a lot of stuff. But to me, it's like, how do we approach it and go, well, what was the good parts? What were the screwed up parts of this person?
0: Absolutely. And it's just like that with Oppenheimer, because you want to just be like, oh, he made this thing, then he regrets it. And I did it. And I made that very simplistic. And you rightfully said no. And then even the movie is way more nuanced than that. It's not that simple. And no one is that simple.
1: Right. And even when we look at somebody from the other end, like because I think, you know, we now we're thinking of like Jefferson is like this, you know, morally repugnant, Kind of dude, but then we look at King and King's got some things that are like you know not so happy mm. stuff, like plagiarism and like some of the stuff you know creepy guys like J Edgar Hoover pulling up on King and affairs and all that. Yeah, and we see some of that in some of the movies, and you go, "Oh, well, I have to throw my hero out," and we're like, "No, not necessarily." There was King writing the right things, so so it's it's an ability to be nuanced enough. And the way we think that we don't make these judgments and saying, oh, everything this person ever did was wrong or everything, you know, mm-hmm. so it's like the all or nothing thinking to me is really adolescent. It's like, how can we get past that?
0: Which is kind of the heart of cancel culture. And it's very, yeah, I really struggle with it. I know. Even when you have terrible scandals like a Ravi Zacharias who like, wow, he was right, like doing terrible things to women. And like, this is really problematic. Now, does that mean that every single video that I ever saw of him that I liked is now null and void? I should. I don't know. It's an open discussion. I don't know. It's tricky.
1: Yeah, because there might be somebody... I mean, this is just logic. So we used to do like... I took a class in, in logic in college, and it was like a lot of judges will use... And you have to determine like, okay, so if something's true and you get somebody that is a real creep that says it, it doesn't mean it's false because they're a creep. That's it. That's bad logic. Yes. And so how, how do we think deeper? I think it's like one of the issues. It would be like saying everything that Weinstein produced is horrible film. Right. yeah. Which and, is and just not no true. No one would say that.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: Do you, if you choose like, well, I don't want to support Weinstein, great, favorite, whatever. You know? Yeah,
0: I guess we'll just throw out Pulp Fiction and yeah, so many others, right?
1: So now you can get more specific and go, well, was this film made in a way through Weinstein that was immoral and therefore I won't watch it? Whatever. If you want to get nuanced, go ahead. But I think it's kind of the same idea here, which is we got to be able to acknowledge that somebody is a creep in one area, but might also say something that's true. But I don't think we. I think it's not satisfying because we were more vengeful than that. <laughs> yeah, and I
0: think like it kind of gets to the heart of what's polarizing about our society right now, or like why we can't get along with anyone, right? Like we have to villainize the other side, like instead of being having any nuance about even like you know if you're if I come I'm I'll just speak for myself I'm come things at things much more from a liberal angle politically theologically, and it's just a lot easier in my brain to take the other side, the conservatives. And I've done it on this show and put. Put them in a box very two-dimensional and uh, make them basically two-dimensional villains that's just not it's not christ-like and it's just not using your mental faculties it's just not and it's also makes us so that we can't agree on anything like literally if you're this if you identify as this then you are i can't i can't even have a conversation with you and that's not healthy for a society for anything
1: yeah plus it's like we take that mentality we just police each other that's our job which i think is like depressing it reminds
0: me of fundamentalism. <laughs> right. It's just a different version of it.
1: Yeah. I always say we don't we don't, we don't tend to exchange our fundamentalism. We just think we do, right? <laughs> yes. We haven't traded it in for a new way to think. We just picked out new fundamentalism. <laughs> right. We're no longer policing
0: swimsuits on women's bodies. We're just policing...
1: People who police swimsuits on women's bodies. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got gotcha. you. Versus like you look at Oppenheimer. He might be your hero because he's... You might call him duplicitous, but he might be just have different levels multivalent right no no <laughs> physics puns intended yeah the dudes like he's reading Hemingway he's reading uh, poetry he's doing at the same time he's the pioneer in the United States he basically brings this new form of physics to the United States yeah and so uh, yeah his in one some ways his personal life is really great in other ways it's really gross maybe he's more real and we don't like that we'd rather have him be a symbol than a person
0: that's so, it All right, and then of course we should close with the theme that is on everyone's minds after watching this movie. And you're right, I think that it is more nuanced in this film, and it's not, I think, principally what the movie is about, but have to touch on it. So, look, I recently watched 2001. Again, one of my favorite movies, probably could be the best movie ever made. You should If you have not seen 2001 or you haven't seen it in a long time, go to HBO Max because the transfer of that movie, like the the cut of it, like how it looks is stunning. It looks like it came out yesterday. No joke. This is like you will watch this movie and it's like this came out yesterday, not in 1968 and how prescient and ahead of its time that movie is like the themes that are discussed in that movie we're dealing with right now. Like and that came out in 1968. Like there are scenes in there where they're watching like movies on iPads that look like like, iPads, and my kids are like, oh, that's an iPad. Like, this was 1968. Like, Kubrick was so ahead of his time. Anyway, sorry. All that to say.
1: Also controversial figure. <laughs> yeah. Also uh, totally? also considered a, a, quote, boring movie.
0: Boring movie, yeah. And he was a bully, too, on set. But no, what the point is, is that then you get to the howl stuff and you get, so like that, the way that movie is structured, you go back to like prehistoric times, right? And this is like our ancestors and they discover the tool, they discover an animal bone and they learn how to use that to fight against other warring tribes and to use it to kill food. And that technology becomes like the impetus, that dramatic music, dun, 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 right? And then you get to like the awe of what we can create with spaceships and these space stations, and then we get to that jupiter mission and suddenly with how we get this ai thing that ultimately is like what we're talking about now where this we're inventing something that could legitimately destroy us and it wreaks havoc in that film and so i think what are you doing dave
1: (laughs) oh my gosh it's so
0: creepy tim it's like dave i'm scared dave like it's so creepy So that's what, so. I just think like, yeah, this is, this is what we're talking about when we come to nuclear weapons, right? Is basically we have created something that had never been done before, but with one push of a button will destroy everything forever.
1: So now we live in an era of AI and nuclear weapons. And nuclear
0: weapons, oh. which by the way, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, which was so freaking good, is all about that and it's very timely. So it's a theme that we've come back to a bunch before, right? Where it's just like we... Putin is going to push that button someday when we finally get him into a corner. And, you know, I mean, like this really could legitimately be the end of everything. And Oppenheimer uh, would be blamed for the end of the world. So I don't know. It's that it's a struggle.
1: I like that. The last scene in the movie. And we're spoiling it, of course. Brilliant. He he says uh, the fear was initially that they were going to when the first atomic bomb went off, it would ignite the atmosphere and destroy the earth. Because that's what this is. It's a reaction. So it's like, it starts really small. You have this reaction and it basically particles are colliding and they're unleashing all this energy and that this chain reaction would be unstoppable and destroy the earth. Yeah. And at the end, he's like, when we first did this, I feared that this would happen. And he's like, and it will. He's like, it still will. It's perfect ending. Yeah. And so the idea that like, we think we're, Oh, well, we dealt with this. No, we're still like in this phase. Well, maybe the particles will all, Collide, maybe, and the human factor will kind of show up here because the human factor is really what's the 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 only thing stopping this.
0: It's why war is inherently evil because it becomes a justification for anything, right? Like, oh, we have to kill. You know, 100,000 people because we're going to save 6 billion people. And we start doing this weird math, right? Where it's like, this suddenly is justified. Something we would never, ever do normally is now fully justified. And that's the problem. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you see the fickleness of human beings in the movie. So I, I think that there's, wow, oh, that's almost reformed, isn't it, John? So anyway. <laughs> nice. All reformed yeah, people are stupid. <laughs> <Sorry>. Hey, that <laughs> okay. seems a little bit. <laughs> so that was going back to our last conversation. 10 I do not minutes believe that. Should go yes yes, <laughs> yes
0: they're good but they're gonna take that sound bite and I'm gonna be
1: we're flawed canceled <laughs> that doesn't mean everything we say is wrong that's correct yeah so I agree I I think this is important that we're like engaged because I feel like people are not engaged in this issue anymore
0: yes and of course the answer is full disarmament all countries actually getting rid of their weapons it will probably never happen but that is of course the goal because it's mutually assured destruction that's it. No one wins in a nuclear war. Zero. No one.
1: Well, you need, for these nukes to not work, you need stable states that have them. And I'm not saying nukes are good or bad. I'm just saying, like, so if you have unstable... This is why North Korea is a problem. Like North
0: Korea. Right, exactly.
1: Yeah, and and also why Russia is a problem right now. If you have these unstable autocrats who don't value life and they have the keys to the, the the ICBMs, we've got problems.
0: But that's also not exempting America, right? Because we're quote unquote stable, but we've done some evil things with our power. Well, we've
1: got problems as it is. I'm saying like you add that on top of that. Like yeah. At least, you know, at least we have some form of representative democracy where it's like there's versus just one person making that choice. But yes, yes. It's all bad, but here it is. Bad. And we can't go back in time. It's not going to happen. We can't. You know. On that note, we can't note. go back, but we can disarm.
0: <laughs> all right, Tim, what are your final thoughts on Oppenheimer? We got to land this plane and your letter grade. Go ahead.
1: Well, my final thoughts are I feel like Marty McFly should have gone back in time and killed him. <laughs> back in then, time. But I don't know if the uh, what's the thing that powers the time machine? He might have needed that. Yeah, the flux <laughs> capacitor.
0: He needs the. Oh, uh, no, he doesn't man. need that. Plutonium. Oh, he
1: needs he. All he needs is plutonium. We get yeah. that without that nuclear yes. power. Anyway, my final thoughts are: I thought it was good, relatively faithful to the book, which is cool, intellectually captivating, and yeah, I feel like I'm still digesting it, and I would watch it again even. Okay.
0: And what is your letter grade? A minus. A minus. No, all no, right. no, Hold on. Yep. A. 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 Perfect grade. Yeah. Right
1: there. Mm-hmm. You, you yeah. heard it right here. All right. A. I think it's going to be all over the uh, Academy Awards, man.
0: Agreed. It's going to be a shoe-in. It's going to be nominated for everything. For me, unfortunately, I will have to diverge. I wanted to love this movie. I so wanted to love this movie. I was pumped up, Tim. The hype surrounding it was phenomenal. There were reviews that said this was the best movie of the last century or something that was actually of someone this century that. of this century. Yeah. yeah so yeah. look, I wanted that. I wanted to experience that level of filmmaking. But for me, I just felt like even from the very beginning, I was not drawn in. Like Nolan did not spend any time, like actually, you know, wooing me into this story. And I thought, okay, that's just the first act. I'm sure it'll tighten up, tighten up. And it really didn't for me. Like, of course, you have moments of absolute brilliance with what happens in Los Alamos and and some of the other scenes there. But so much of the movie just felt too too tangential, too like all over the place. And so I am actually giving Oppenheimer a wait for it. B minus I'm sorry I'm sorry I know it's it's a, a hot B- take minus
1: <laughs> It's a hot take. It's a it's a sad take. <laughs> I think I think half of the movie is brilliant. I and half of it is a total
0: mess. That's that's what I. It's a say.
1: bummer that you would give it that grade. What other movies have you given that grade? I don't want to say. Listen, uh, this is
0: the hard part <laughs> when you compare movies. All right, because this is the thing. I gave. Well, I gave. I'm not going to say what I gave Barbie, but I gave it a higher grade. And my son was like, my. So, oh, by the way, I should have mentioned this. My son was blown away by Oppenheimer. Like, we got to the end of the end credits, and he was like. Wow. That was the best one of the best movies I've ever seen. Were people
1: and, uh, in, in were people in the Barbie movie completely silent and couldn't no. move afterwards because that have... is what happened in Oppenheimer just so you know I was I'm talking guaranteed.
0: all through Barbie.
1: But in your movie theory, was everybody yeah. dead silent yes. at the end?
0: Yes. yes. Especially like, with that uh, ex- bomb uh, the, explosion too. Oh my Bobby gosh. Barbie might
1: have cool ideas cuz I've heard some of those ideas but mm-hmm. and I know you can't say anything about it right now. I can't. But nobody's like dead silent like at the end of the movie. That's like That's pretty impressive.
0: But this is what I always run into is you cannot compare the two, right? So I gave Barbie a higher grade, but my son was like, you actually like Barbie more than Obama. And of course, that sounds ridiculous when you compare the two. Just like it sounds ridiculous to say that, but like Toy Story, right? Let's just talk about Toy Story. It's an A-plus movie. I think it's an absolute classic. But at the end of the day, it's about freaking toys going to Planet Hollywood and trying to get back to Andy. Okay, no. Obviously, that's not the same thing as Schindler's (laughs) List, but that doesn't mean that it's not still an A-plus movie despite its subject matter. Ugh, I get what anyway. you're saying you but it's also
1: us. like the same reason you don't see comedies up for uh, Best Picture ever <laughs> right
0: This doesn't mean that within its genre it's a great film yeah
1: it's uh, just you have to at some point I, I, I totally agree with you on that but I think it'd be I, think, I just I, I know I just think it's so harsh man I, I hope you revise your thoughts on this at some and point and it could happen I've done it before yeah I do agree with you though I, I agree with you that like there are some dialogue here that I don't have the attention span for it what's funny to me is People have the attention span for the Kardashians. They have the attention span for all the celebrity stuff, but they will never have the attention span for this. True. Right? So, so yeah, In fact, the entire... It's the same... Like if we're watching some movie about Thomas Edison, it's going to be the same exact thing, right? I know. Oh, you gave us everything we have, but we just we don't have the attention
0: <laughs> Hey, rumor has it Edison was a total jerk, too.
1: He was. Yeah, I read a biography <laughs> on him. Yeah, he was. He's a thiefy jerk. I know.
0: All right. There you have it. The movie is Oppenheimer. It's playing in a theater near you. Check it out. Tell us what you think. You've heard two takes here. You've heard an A and a B minus. Now it's time for you to weigh in, listeners. So the email address is podcast at cinemafaith.com. Podcast at cinemafaith.com. As always, we will read your review on the air, your take. We may have to summarize if it's long, but we want to hear what our listeners have to think, so please write us
1: in. As long as they agree with me. As long as they agree with him, Yeah, that's the only requirement. (laughs) It just has to agree with me basically totally. And as long as you're not a socialist or you were a former member of the Communist Party.
0: Yes. At any time in your life.
1: Yeah. Otherwise, we'll take away your security clearance.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And then we'll bore you with three hours of questions. But the music will be epic. (laughs) Is this your signature? Okay. (laughs) exactly (laughs) so don't forget also to check out our friend Megan Wester's podcast the pod luck I'm gonna be on that this month so check that out as well we'll talk about Barbie and as for next month Tim I don't know I was looking at the release schedule there's nothing that stands out like an Oppenheimer coming up so we're gonna have to find something maybe we'll even find something that we missed you know it's already August so maybe there was a movie from 2023 that we kind of flew under the radar we might have to go back and and watch but um, we'll find something we'll do it we'll be here in September, it's going to happen.
1: I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be good. Yeah, I think we should watch something. Is there? There's nothing coming out that you. What, I couldn't at all?
0: see anything in the release schedule that stood out as like this is a movie we have to see. Maybe something will come that I'm just not seeing right now. But we will find something. We will. All right, Tim. I love you, man. Thank you so much as always for making the time for us. You're the best.
1: No, you, man. No, you. <laughs> You're the best.
0: All right, keep the faith, my friends. We will see you next time.